So I'll just introduce myself. Some of you are new, and we're so excited that you're here. Um, my name is Robin, and this is where I live. <laughs> so welcome. And um, the way that we kind of format this is, and actually this is new for Louise and I, which has been so fun, is that Louise and I take turns. Um, we take turns teaching, which is great. Um, it, because, one, it's just fun to have two different styles of teachers, and it's fun for us to teach together, and it's just good all around. So we're really excited that we've had the opportunity to do this this year, and it's been a blessing to us. Um, <clears throat> so some of you know, we start, like, 6.30 is when, you know, the doors open, come on in, get a coffee, get something to drink. This is, like, first day of school, so I'm just going to go over a few of those little things. Um, but we're, we're gonna, we'll always leave probably a few minutes just for people to greet each other, because... Part of the deal here is not just to be academic, it's to be relational, and relational is huge. And so, you know, we will probably actually start teaching about 640, so if you're one of those people who's like, I don't want to talk to anybody, I'm not coming until 640, which I know that's not who you are, I'm just kidding, um, you can come in at 640, but we will start teaching at about that time. Um, and so, and then our time officially is 6.30 to 8.30, and we know some of you that doesn't work with your schedules, you've got kids you've got to pick up or whatever, that is totally fine. You leave when you need to leave. Um, the way that we roll basically is um, we, we have a time to get food, we have a time to settle down, we have a time to uh, teach, and then we have a time that we break up into small groups and just really share with one another. And that's, that's really important. To me, that's just as important as anything else we do, because um, it's really where we get to support one another, pray for one another, dialogue with one another. It's where we get to hear what, you know, what maybe the Holy Spirit's teaching you, teaching me, you know, what I'm learning, where I'm coming from. We want to be not just a place for Bible study, but we want to be a place, like I said, for community. And um, for women, I think that that's, uh, and, and I'm not sexist by any means, the least sexist person in the whole wide world, but I just think we love that intimacy and that community, and we thrive on that, and we need that. We're just designed for that. So um, if you were here last semester, and if you were here for our last gathering at Christmas time, we met at Trisha's house, who's on her way one of the things um, I just shared a little bit at the end, and um, it just was something that I really felt like the Lord put on my heart. I wasn't planning on sharing this. It, it, I don't. I just can only think it came from Holy Spirit. But what I really felt like um, the Lord wanted us to know about this time that we gather this year is that He has powerful things for us. He has powerful things for us. He has breakthrough for our lives. I believe He has healing for us. Emotional, physical, spiritual healing for our lives. And not just for us so that we can have it for us, but so that we can go out and be dynamic in his kingdom. And when I say that, dynamic doesn't necessarily mean that you gather a crowd of a thousand people. Dynamic can be that you love your neighbor. You just love your neighbor. And you do it in a way that only God knows how to do that through you, not in the way that you can muster up within your own strength. I just believe that God wants something more for us, and I believe that we are a group of women that um, are a force to be reckoned with, and I think that's really exciting in the kingdom. And so um, you'll get to know me, you'll get to know, some of you already know Louise, but you'll get to know us both as we share, because we tend to share about our lives and try to be um, authentic about our lives, and the reason we do that is not so that we can just talk about ourselves, but so that we can model authenticity. So that then when you sit with other women, that hopefully you'll be authentic. So what I want to ask of you tonight is that when we break into groups, you don't break into a group with somebody that you normally break into a group with. In fact, you break into a group with maybe somebody you don't know or you don't normally hang out with. And I know that's not always comfortable for people. Now, if you came and you don't know anybody, take your comfort buddy with you and get in a group with them, and that's totally fine. I'm totally fine with that. I don't mind that at all. I don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. Um, really, that would defeat the purpose. But what I want is I want us to get to know each other. Because in a group, this is, doesn't seem this large, but it's, it's large. It's larger than a Bible study with five people, or with six people, or with eight people. It's large enough that you can kind of not get to know each other. And so what I really hope for us is that in order for us to be and do all that I think God has for us, we get to know each other. And that just takes, um, it takes a little bit of effort on our part. 
So um, I posted on um, Facebook, I don't know if it was legitimate or if I should have done it, because somebody shared a quote with me today, <laughs> and I apologize, I'm sorry. I, like, that's, what is that saying, like, um, do something and then ask permission later or whatever? I don't know what that is, but I did it, and I'm like, oh no, I really should have asked permission, but I just... Don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. Yes, yeah, don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness. And so I asked for forgiveness. <laughs> But it was the it was just such an awesome thing. So Louise texted me today. Everybody know who Louise is? Raise your hand, Louise. She's the other teacher in the group. And um, so she texted me. She goes, I talked to Tanita today, and she said, I told my husband it feels like Christmas because Bible study is starting. And I did not. I just have to tell you that fueled me. Yeah. That fueled me for the afternoon and for the rest of the day. That excited my heart so much that you would be so excited at the, the opportunity to gather together. Mm-hmm. See, it is an opportunity, and it's a privilege, <laughs> friends. It's a privilege that we have to gather together. I count it so. And I know Louise does too when she prepares to teach. And so what we want more than anything is not that we would speak our words, but that we would speak the words that the that God of the universe wants us to speak. Mm-hmm during this time. And he already knows what we need to hear because he already knows everything about us. And I love that. He's intimately acquainted with us. He knows the number of hairs on our very head. And what a great God we have. And so um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get started. And I have this, like, super fancy PowerPoint because I'm so techy. And as you can see, there it is. It's going to start, and don't be impressed because it may be the only time it happens all semester. But I thought I would try it. Here we go. Um, If you have a cell phone, make sure that it's on vibrate or completely turned off so it doesn't bother you unless you need to be available for somebody because we are offering this time to the Lord. So... So we just thank you so much for the way that you love us. And Lord, I pray that that would go from head to heart, that it would be experiential for us, that it wouldn't just be theory, that we know you love us, that we know you have to love us, that we hear that you love us, but we would experience the overwhelming, the knockdown, fall on our face, love of Jesus. I thank you for these women, for each life represented here, Lord. I think about that. I think each life is a family. Each life touches other lives. Each life has a community. Each life here, each person shepherds other people. And so I thank you for each person here and the flock that they shepherd. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come in power. I pray you would come with wisdom. I pray you would come with healing, with hope, with joy, with love, with your peace that surpasses all understanding. And I pray that you would fill us tonight and we would go out into the world, that we would be light and that we would be salt. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So tonight I'm just going to do a little bit of an overview. Trish, there's a seat up here and here and here if you want, wherever you feel comfortable. Welcome. We're really glad you're here. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of an overview and then like the first seven verses of... um, the book of First Timothy, and and if you know me, and you you will get to know me, that I spend two hours on my three verses. Sorry, but that's just who I am. People are giggling, but that's the way it rolls. So you may think, how can we spend very long on you know just seven verses? But you know, I don't know. We just can't. So um, one of the things I want to do is I really want to give us a background of what is happening in the book of First Timothy, and I think it's really important. Because when my, um, a couple of uh, you know that Cindy, my friend Cindy in the back, raise your hand, Cindy. Um, we, her husband and my husband, Michael and her husband, John, went to Albania this last fall. And one of the things that we did before we went to Albania was John gave me this stack of books about Albania. Then he told me the history that he had and knew about Albania. And then Cindy told me, you know, they told us their experiences. And then other people gave us information. In fact, we FaceTimed with people from Albania. We tried to get as much, like, kind of a feel of this foreign place we were going to as we could before we actually went there. Because I had no idea when I stepped off the plane, or actually when the plane pulled in and landed, that it would be as green as it was. I had no idea what the buildings would look like. I had no idea what the accent of the people would be like. I had no idea what the food would taste like. I had no idea what their living circumstances, their spiritual life. I had no idea about any of that, except for what I read to try to prepare. 
And I think it's really important for us to know what was happening and why was the book of 1 Timothy written. And just so off the bat you know, does anybody know who wrote the book of 1 Timothy? Paul. Paul, that's right. Paul is one of the major writers of the New Testament. He wrote most of the New Testament. So pretty much, just like I've told you before, if you're in church and somebody asks you a question and you say Jesus, you're usually almost always right. If you, you ask about something in the New Testament and you say Paul, you'll probably almost always be right. Because Paul wrote the New Testament pretty much, mostly. Um, so Paul is writing to Timothy. And Timothy is in a place called Ephesus. And if you remember in the New Testament, there's a book, and it's called the book of Ephesians. And that is about the Ephesians live in Ephesus. And Paul had missionary journeys. And one of the places that you find out about his three major, the missionary journeys that he had is if you read the book of Acts, because that is really a historic account of what Paul did. Um, if you know much about Paul, you can remember Paul was a zealot. That's what they called him. He was so zealous about his faith. He was 100% all in believing everything that had been written in the Torah, the Old Testament, um, those first few five books, the Pentateuch. He, he believed the law. He lived the law. He felt like it was his job to carry out the law, like he was going to be the keeper of the law. And so he was left and right pulling Christians into, into prison, having them, you know, having them executed. I mean, he was like not a guy you wanted to run into. At that point in time, his name was Saul. And he has an encounter on the road to Damascus with who? Jesus. Yes, you got it, good. <laughs> with Jesus. He encounters Jesus. He has this face-to-face encounter with Jesus. Jesus wanted to get Paul's attention. And so he encounters Paul, and he basically says to him these words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, he doesn't say, why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting other Christians? He says, personally, why are you persecuting me? See, Paul, at that point in time, did not know Jesus as his Lord and Savior, did not have an intimate relationship with him. But he thought he was doing everything that God wanted him to do. And really, to his credit, if he was only following what the Old Testament prophets had said and what had been spoken over Israel, he really was. He really, really was. But there was a new guy in town. There was a new Savior on the block, and that was Jesus, our one and only Savior. And so when Jesus came, Paul continued to persecute the church called the Way, and he went after them with a vengeance, and nobody wanted to hang out with Paul. And so when Jesus encounters him, he actually literally physically blinds Paul. Now, most of us, maybe a lot of us already know this, but I think it's really good to think about it again. Like, tell your stories. Don't you love, like, getting together with family over Thanksgiving or Christmas, and, and you tell stories? Remember when, usually if you're a parent, you're the brunt of the story? It's not so fun, then. But, you know, remember when mom did this? Remember when dad did that? You know, and it's usually like that we were, like, crazy and off our rockers or something. But, you know, that they'll get theirs because their kids will grow up, and their kids will say those same things about them. So it's got but you just but to tell the story I think is important. So we know that Paul was blinded and he was basically these scales kind of went over his eyes and he was told to go and I just now went blank on the name of the guy. Um who did, were they told to go see? Ah, oh, anyways, I'll remember. It'll come back to you. Huh? Ananias? Yes. No, it wasn't. But anyways, it'll come to me. Anyways, he was told to go find this dude, <laughs> this guy in the scripture, and I just went, oh, okay. Um, and he was told to go find him, and when he, when he did, it was a really scary thing for this encounter, because, you know, it'd be like kind of going, um, Robin, I got tapped you on the shoulder and says, could you just go hang out with some mass murderer? Like, because he's had an experience with Jesus, and meet him in a dark alley somewhere, but it's going to be okay. I don't think so. But, you know, because of faith, they had this encounter, and um, Paul, uh, at one point in time, the scales just come off his eyes. And see, I think it was a physical interpretation of a spiritual experience that he needed. He needed to be blinded to all he believed so that he could see what was true. And I feel like that's truth for us. I grew up, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up with a church background. 
Um, I didn't know a whole lot about Jesus. I didn't know a whole lot about God. I just always believed that there was a God. I always believed there was. But I didn't really know much about who he was. And so I just remember that when I started learning, I learned a lot of things. But a lot of the things, and I've shared this with some of you before, that I learned were much more cultural than they were biblical. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't know that. I thought they were biblical because the people speaking them over my life and to me, and some of them were. I'm not saying that there weren't great, there wasn't great biblical teaching and there weren't wonderful shepherds in my life. I'm not saying that. But some of the things were cultural. They were not necessarily biblical. And I remember at one point in time, I was in my mid-30s, and I just was super hungry for the Lord. I just was like, I don't know the Bible. I want to know the Bible. I had um, a three-year-old and an infant, and I just wanted to know Jesus. And every day, I told you some of you this before, too, that every day they would take a nap. I was so fortunate we would time those naps. Man, that was like my life-saving time. They would nap together, and I'd get this two- to three-hour span of time. And I would just spend it with the Lord. I was so hungry. I'm just, I would just journal and I would pray and I'd be like, teach me. I want to know. And this is what I asked the Lord at that point in time because I had become a Christ follower at 15. So I was already 15 plus years into my relationship with Jesus. And I had learned a lot of things during that time. But I remember asking the Lord, I want you to wipe away everything that is not of you. Every, I don't know why I prayed that prayer. I have no idea other than I think God put it on my heart. I don't know why or where that came from. But I just said, wipe away everything, every concept, everything I've learned that is not from you. That is not necessarily, that is more like cultural and not necessarily true. And the reason I'm telling you that is because what I'm going to tell you is what was happening in the culture with Paul and with Timothy and why it was so essential for him to write this book. And so Paul has this experience, his life just just a total turnaround. He is just he is just on fire for the Lord. He he gives up everything, he counts everything as loss. He says that about his entire life. I can't I mean he was like as he says in the scripture, I was Jew of Jew of Jews, circumcised on the eighth day. I mean, he had a mother and a grandmother who were both Christ followers. Um, and as they they raised, or this was Timothy, sorry. Paul um, Paul encountered Timothy, and Timothy had a mother and a grandmother who were both Christ followers, Lois and Eunice. I love those names, Lois and Eunice. They're like not super popular now, but you know they were then. And and Timothy had a father who was a Greek, and so he had this background of Christianity. And Paul encounters Timothy, and Timothy becomes basically his child in the faith, and so. Paul has a vested interest in Timothy's life. But I want to tell you a little bit about what is going on in the culture. But first of all, I want to say, welcome <laughs> to First Timothy Bible Study. If you don't know where you are, this is where you are. You're the First Timothy Bible Study in 2018. <clears throat> and um, so when we went on this trip to Albania, we had, as, as many of you already know, we had this great opportunity on the way home that our plane was stopping in this beautiful country of um, Austria. And I've never been to Austria, never before in my whole life. And I'm like, I just don't think it's going to cut it for me to just eat a snack in the airport in Austria and not spend some time in Austria. (laughs) So even though the timing wasn't great, I convinced Michael and my sweet friends, let's just stay in Austria for a little while. So we went in, we were in Vienna. And we went to Vienna. And I've told some of you this, and some of you have seen pictures, but I just wanted to show you a little bit about what it looked like there. This was the church, actually, that they filmed the Sound of Music wedding in. We went on the Sound of Music tour in Salzburg, which was, like, amazing. And it just was beautiful. I mean, of course, the pictures don't do it justice, but this is the inside. So if you remember the sound of music, she walks down this gorgeous aisle. And I mean, this is really, it looks pink, it's salmon. It really is that gorgeous salmon color. And one of the things that you'll notice about every picture that I'm showing you is that it was very, very opulent. We had a tour guide. What was our tour guide's name, Karen? I forgot his name. Wolfgang. Yes, Wolfgang. Um, Karen and Andy had been, and then they gave us his name, and he was a hoot. And we go into this church because he's doing this tour for us, and and this was just like one of the many like kind of fresco sculptures all the way around the church. And his this was his comment. 
Imagine them, the church building something this opulent when people were in, at war and basically had nothing. That's the impression that he came away with. This was the organ in the background. Just gold. This, the gold on here is really gold. This is really fancy schmancy. I mean, it is, it is gorgeous. This was the actual house of the Von Trapp family. It was actually their house. It's a bed and breakfast now, and I was drooling and so wanted to stay there. But it is gorgeous, isn't it? It's just so gorgeous. And it just, I don't know, it just looks like something out of a movie, because it was. And they actually lived there and with all of their children. This is what the city looks like when you look over the river and um, this big fort up on top of the hill has been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. And everything, again, opulent. This is the house that they actually used to film the, as though the Von Trapp family lived in this house. So this is the one that you saw in the movie, but it really was, it was they never went in and it wasn't really their house. But again, incredibly, incredibly opulent. Okay, just walking into a building, look at the architecture that you see on the um, top. That's all raised. Everything is plaster, raised plaster, and it's just beautiful. This is a place in that same building where people come from all over the world. People come from Asia. People come from wherever, all over the world, to get married. It's not even that big of an area, but it's this just gorgeous hall and it's famous, and so people will travel across the world to just get married in this place. This is a church that was in Vienna, and just the staircase, just picture of kind of just all of the architecture of that. You just see that's just a piece of the staircase. This is just one of the buildings that was there. Everything has, you know, little spindles and weather vanes and beautiful things. And you just kind of stand there and you just think, how in the world did they build this without the aid of cranes and all the technology that we have today. Um, this was a palace that we got to go see, the Schönbrunnbrunn-Brunn-Brunn-Something Palace. It's very German saying, I can't say it. But this was their summer home. <laughs> yes, I don't know what their winter home looks like. It was amazing. The grounds were spectacular. I mean... To walk from the house to the very, very far back. We didn't even walk all the way up the hill to this big gazebo thing. But it was just like, I mean, it felt like a mile. It just went on forever and ever. And Grecian statues in the garden. And I mean, it just, it was just jaw-dropping. But last but not least, these are two fun people that stood in front of the gazebo that was from The Sound of Music that they danced in, and I just thought I had to throw that in just to make my day with the whole fun of, of being technology. Um, so the reason I'm telling you that... The reason I'm telling you that is that Ephesus was a town that was incredibly, incredibly wealthy. It was this port town where people would have to come and go. All the trading would go past and through Ephesus. And so ships would come and they would bring incredible materials and wealth. It was just, it was just opulent. So I want you to think about that. This is the place that Timothy is pastoring a church. This is the place Paul spent probably one the most time at any Gentile location um, in Ephesus. Three years he spent planting and building and developing this church in Ephesus. But by the time he writes this letter, he's in prison. And he's basically been taken out of the game for about five years. And so the, the itinerant preacher, this man who has traveled um, in about ten years, to over 20,000 miles, mostly by foot, is now in prison because of politics, because of he was a trumped-up charge that basically said you brought a Gentile into a Hebrew place that only Hebrew people could come in, and he was in prison. And Paul didn't waste any time there. The Lord didn't waste any time with Paul. You know, in our lives, there's times when we have seasons that are just difficult. And sometimes in a difficult season, we just shut down. And we just go, it's just too hard. I'm not gonna, I can't accomplish anything. I can't push through this. But I believe that if we... Give that difficult time over to the Lord. I'm not even saying that God caused the difficulty in your life or is currently causing the difficulty in your life. 
I think as we talked about before, we credit him with too many things that are are bad that he didn't cause. It's just part of our world and the broken and fall, fallen world that we live in. But I believe that if we take that to him, no matter how difficult the time is, that he will redeem the time. And so during this time, he writes to Timothy because he finds out that the church at Ephesus is just a mess. This church that he has laid down his life for, this church that he has poured these three years in, you know, blood, sweat, and tears in, this church has now brought in all kinds of false doctrine and all kinds of false teaching have entered into this time. And so Paul starts the letter and he says, An apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. And he says that he's an apostle because he's talking about his authority. And I'm not going to get into all of the doctrinal arguments about whether apostles are for today or not today, because some people will say there was 12, and then there was 11, and then they brought in Matthias, and then now and then there was you know, 12 again, and then you know, all that stuff, and then there's no more apostles anymore today. But I have to believe that because Paul was not one of the original, and he was not brought in with a roll of some dice, that their apostleship is a position that continues today in our churches. We just kind of have forgotten about it. But I won't go into that. But he's calls, he says, God, because I command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. And the reason that he says God our Savior, that he puts that in there, is because Nero, who was now in power, who was one of the most wicked rulers in this time, wicked rulers. If you know much about Nero, Nero had like his wife killed, his family killed. He would take Christians and actually put them, a stake through them and wrap them up and use them to light his gardens. Light them on fire. He was wicked, wicked, wicked. You know, when we hear the stuff that's going on in the news today and we think, oh my gosh, there's nothing that's ever happened as wicked as that, that's just not true. There's absolutely nothing new under the sun. Wicked has always been, and wicked will continue because wicked is in this world, but we, the light of the world and the salt, are the ones who can overcome that darkness. That's our job. You know, our job is not to hide out in a big church like that or our hide out in our little group like that where we're comfortable. Our job is to gather, to get fed, to get encouraged, to get lifted up so that we can go out and we can light the world. And so he's writing to Timothy and he starts, and I love that he says, Christ Jesus, our hope. He's our hope. You know, sometimes I don't think we get that so much living in America. And this is why I think we can identify with what's going on in Ephesus. As I was studying for this and thinking about this, I'm always asking the Lord, okay, so how does that apply to us right now? How does studying the book of 1 Timothy apply to our lives right now? How does it make a difference? I mean, I know that the scripture, it says, will never return void. There's always value in studying the word. But how do you want us, what do you want us to learn? What do you want us to receive from the book of 1 Timothy? And I really believe that the Lord wants us to understand this idea between what is culture imposing on us? What are we believing? How are we living our lifestyle based on what our culture says? Whether it even be our church culture or our world culture, how are we living daily based on that versus what Jesus, our hope, wants us to experience? See, I think if we begin doing this paradigm shift that my life has value, my life has meaning, my life has power, my life has an ability to shift atmosphere and change other people because not of me, not me, but because of God in me, when we begin seeing how, how important a piece we are in the kingdom, we'll, start to, we'll stop just thinking every day is just another day and whenever, go with the flow. Like just jump in and go downstream like the salmon. It's much harder to swim upstream. It's much harder to go against the culture. It's much harder to be different than being like everybody else. I mean, remember being in junior high? Remember being in high school? Remember wanting to be like everybody else? Remember wanting to not be too tall, to not be too short, to not be too fat, to not be too thin, to not be too blonde, too dark, too whatever, just to not be too anything, or to be enough of something so that you felt like you were at least better than somebody. That's all cultural thinking. And so they were 
bombarded with this culture of opulence. And not only was it opulent, but it was so opulent that they also, they worshipped um, <clears throat> their, one of the gods, it was actually the se- one of the seven wonders of the world, was the temple of Artemis. And in that temple, um, the goddess Diana was worshipped. And the goddess Diana was worshipped through all kinds of sexual immorality, prostitution. I mean, that's how they worshipped, okay? I'm going to go to church on Sunday and I'm hooking up with a prostitute, male or female. That's what I do. That's how I worship. This is how crazy the culture is. But not really that any more crazy than stuff that happens today. It's just that we don't have a big giant temple in the middle of a city named Ephesus where we all show up. But what they would do is they would close the whole city down for a month. Nobody would work for an entire month. And they would write plays, and they would have concerts, and they would have all kinds of stuff going on at the temple. I mean, it was just celebration of this culture immersed in immorality. In fact, so much money came in to this culture, to this region, that the actual temple of Artemis became a bank. It became a bank. It was current, currency was run through there. People would come from all parts of Asia and around the world to celebrate this whole festival. This whole festival of immorality. Just crazy out in the open. And so what people would do, some of them, were people who owed debt would actually come to Ephesus and hide out in this, during this time, in this place, so that they could not have to pay their debt. I thought that was an interesting little fact, interesting little thing that they were being, bringing refugees from, from uh, other countries, but the refugees were basically people who wanted to get away from having to be honest and pay their debts. And all this is going on while Timothy is trying to hold this church in truth. Shepherd this church. And when I ask the Lord, how does that affect us? How is First Timothy pertinent to our lives today? I think that we could take Ephesus and we could just like put that template over our world right now. And we could go, uh-huh. See, we don't even realize how opulent we live. Michael was mentioning to me, he's like, you know, the stuff that's just at our fingertips. Like, silly things, but things that technology-wise, like, I want to watch a movie. I just go on my TV and find it and pay for it if it's not free on Netflix. And I just watch it in my bedroom <clears throat> or in my family. Pretty much anything I want. Anytime I want. Anywhere I want. I could order potato chips through Amazon if I want. I could order a bottle of wine. I could go to um, uh, Whole Foods, and I could type in an order on Amazon, and I could go there, and there's a little locker now, and you could actually go, and you pay for it, and you unlock it, and your groceries are there, and you carry them home. That's opulence, you guys. You can drive up to Walmart, drive up to most grocery stores, having ordered everything that you want online, and somebody will actually bring your groceries out to your car. I mean, some of that's awesome. I'm not, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying, do you realize how opulent that is? Do you realize this is our culture? And we can get so enmeshed in our culture that we forget whose we are. But we belong to the risen Christ. And the Holy Spirit inhabits our lives. And God wants so much more for us than just going with the flow and finding yourself downstream at the end of the day. So much more for us. And so he goes on to say, I urged you when I went into Macedonia, verse 3, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. So uh, some different theologians believe that Timothy was just at this point where he's like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to stay here. I don't want to, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this church. This church had to be really, really difficult. It's just difficult. You know, 
Churches nowadays think they just have to get bigger, better, grander to get people in the doors. Um, a friend of mine who lives in Georgia um, works for a Presbyterian church, and we used to work at the same, well, he and Michael used to work at the same church together in Casper. I was just kind of surprised. I, I just never pictured kind of him like buying into this. And, and so it's going to sound judgmental. I don't mean it to. I just was surprised. Um, but, you know, he's posting something about his church. Come to our church because we're going to do Let's Make a Deal. We're going to have this awesome Let's Make a Deal game. And we're going to give away prizes. Let's have iPads. Let's have this trip. Let's have these gift cards. Let's, now, maybe you come from a church that's done that or does that. I don't know. I'm not trying to judge. I'm just trying to say, like, if Jesus isn't enough, what is? And I'm not saying we don't work with our culture. Michael and I worked in Young Life for 20-plus years. And we went where kids went. And we did what kids did. But we didn't ever, like, have to pull out the bright and flashy shiny to make them show up. The way they showed up was we built relationship with them. See, because you can spin the wheel and make a deal. Or you can have the most cutting-edge this. Or the most amazing that. But if people don't get to know Jesus, and they're just kind of getting their culture with a little bit of Jesus thrown in, you have made no difference in their life. He is not the God of hope to them. He's just one more thing that they add on their calendar. We can't do that. We are living representatives of Jesus Christ. And there is a gob of false doctrine all around us. All around us. But, you know, Paul said something really simple. He said, Christ for me is to live and to die is gain." I mean, his, his whole focus was Jesus. He'd done all the other. He had all the accolades. He knew what it was like to have the title and to have the position and to have the power. And he was completely and totally surrendered to Jesus after he had an encounter with him. And he gave it all for him. That's not, that's not fanatical. Now, it seems fanatical because in our culture, even in our church culture. Sorry if I'm stepping on toes. That's fanatical. But in who we are, and who we've been called to be, and who we've been designed to be, and the fact that the, the risen Christ chose to give us his everything and say things to us like, ladies, I did not make this up. You are going to do greater things than I ever did. That's not theory. It's truth. But how come we're not seeing it? It's a good question to ask. Because do we believe our culture or do we believe what Jesus said? See, I have to be putting myself in check all the time. Robin, have you just kind of swayed over here? Like, that sounds good. It sounds like a little bit of truth. It sounds like a little bit of Jesus. It sounds like a little bit of gospel. But it's not the gospel. It's not the truth. It's not the way. It's not the life. See, we have an enemy who wants to keep us believing that we don't have much to offer. We don't have much power. We can't really make a big difference in anyone's life or in any situation. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. And if he can keep us believing that, we will stay comfortable in our culture. Hey, I'm not against enjoying things. I like to have a good meal out. It's really fun. Michael and I love to go to the movies, and we especially love the movies with those new cool seats, you know, that have the buttons. Those are really fun. I like that. I like that somebody thought those seats up. I'm like, way to go. This makes my popcorn taste so much better. I really, really like that. I'm not saying we go hide in a cave somewhere. I'm not saying we don't enjoy the good gifts God has given us. But I'm saying we don't get enamored with them. We don't get caught up in them. 
So that all I'm thinking about all day long are things that have to do with the world and the culture versus what if I shifted and began thinking, you know what? Stay where you are, Robin. Wait. Just wait for the Holy Spirit. Just wait for him to show you what to do. Just wait for your direction. Just wait for your instruction. Now, I don't think wait means doing nothing, by the way. I think sometimes wait means you do something while you're waiting, but you're waiting on the don't run ahead. Don't make the decision for yourself. Don't try to second guess. Well, I kind of think this is probably what he wants. You know what? I believe that God speaks to us, and because he speaks to us, he is going to be able to tell us, if we listen, what he wants. That's right. If I don't wait, if I don't get quiet, if I just keep engulfing my mind in, in what's going on in my culture, I mean... I can I can totally veg out on Netflix with the best of them. I can totally go, I don't feel good, which I had the flu after the wedding, after Jessica got, my, my middle daughter got married at New Year's Eve, and Mike and I both got the flu, and so it was like, I just like had a lot of in bedtime. And so I could totally binge watch, like just burn through a series like Netflix, like with the best of them. I'm not acting like I'm above any of that. I'm just saying it's not what I want my life to be about. And I just want the lie to break off of us that we are not forces to be reckoned with in the kingdom of God. Because we are. And we can say the enemy, you may not have my marriage, you may not have my children, you may not have my family. You may not have my finances. You may not have my neighborhood. You may not have that. Or I can just go, darn, I just really hate when that happens. I did that for years of my life because I didn't know I had any other recourse but to stand. I met with a friend um, yesterday and just the sweetest person, and I don't know, I, 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 well, I do know. I know that just sometimes I just know things, I just know things, I just do. I never knew how I knew them, now I know how I know them, because that's just part of being a prophet, God, and when I mean prophet, I mean like understanding, hearing from the Lord, like just getting stuff, I think you all get, we all get stuff from the Lord, if we pay attention, we, we do, but sometimes they just, there's just stuff that it's like, I just knew, I already knew, you know, I just already knew, I usually know when this thing's going to happen or that thing's going to happen. Or I always, I tend to know what people are already going through before they're going through. And I, and I don't try to like say much about it because it usually makes people super uncomfortable. And I don't mind making them uncomfortable. That's never my goal is to make them uncomfortable. But, you know, it typically makes people uncomfortable. But she, <laughs> she came over and um, we were talking. And, and before she came in, I just knew. I just knew some things. I just knew in my heart. You know, and, and we talked about everything under the sun, and and um, then she told me about this situation where she's like, yeah, remember, she, she was talking about planning a trip, and she goes, I don't know if I can get on the plane, because remember when I had that panic attack, and I had to get off the plane, and couldn't take the trip, and I'm like, no, you did not tell me about that, I don't know anything about this, she's like, really? So she goes on to explain about this panic attack, and she's telling me that, you know, she gets on this plane, and all of a sudden, she's like, I just feel like there's no air. I don't have any air. And I feel squished between two people, and I start freaking out, and I have to literally get off the plane. And we had to cancel our trip. And I was like, wow. And then she goes, and then there was this other time, and I went to Banquet Law Park, and same thing happened, and I'm, you know, they didn't have a roof open, and I felt like there was no air. There's just no air. And I'm like, wow. And then she goes, and then, you know, I didn't, I'm like, going, okay, you know, I'm thinking, what's going on here? And um, and then I went to this um, comedy show, and the same thing happened. I had to just leave. I had to get outside. I was like, there's just no air. There's just no air. And um, so I'm like, you know, we just don't need to pray for that. Because, see, in my old way of thinking, along with the culture, it'd be like, oh, man, maybe you should go to the doctor. Maybe you need to get some medication for anti-anxiety. Not against that, by the way. Not against that. Just hear me say it in public. Not against that. Not judging. Just, But that would be my only solution. I wouldn't know what else to think or what else to do. I wouldn't know where else to go or what else to say. But I'm like, you know, 
because God is God of the universe and because he knows every single intimate detail about my life, maybe we should ask him, what's that about? Because you never, ever used to have that be a part of your life. Like, where is that coming from? And it was not in a judgmental way. I already knew what she was going to say before she said it. But I always am like, Lord, I lay that down. I don't want to know like what I think I know. I want to know what you know. So we pray. <clears throat> and one of the things that we prayed, and she's like, I don't know. I didn't hear anything. I just felt like it's just the enemy you know, telling me I have no air. And I'm like, okay, well, let's just pray one more time. And as we were praying, I felt like the Lord just said, you need to pray. You needed to ask when she remembers in her life feeling trapped. Because that's the word the Lord gave me. You feel trapped. Something is making you feel trapped. And so when I prayed that, and we listened, and we talked, she's like, the minute you said that, I knew. And she told me what it was, and I knew what she was going to say, what the situation was, and, and why, and it made sense. And we talked about it, and we prayed about it, and we prayed into it. And ask for solutions and ask for healing and ask for hope because it was a difficult situation. And yet, because this is the God of hope, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the one who can identify that to set us free can also give us the solution mm-hmm. to it. But if I go to my culture and I always just go to the culture, the first thing I do is go to the culture because I live in a culture of opulence, because I have insurance, because I have a car, because I can go buy all kinds of things at the grocery store, because I can take care of myself. If I first go to my culture and I don't go to my king, I'm going to get robbed. And all kinds of false stuff is going to get in there. And I'm going to think it's the truth instead of that he's the truth. Does it make sense? Mm-hmm. And so this is what Timothy is up against. And this is why Paul is trying to encourage him. Because people are bringing in all kinds of false belief systems. They're bringing in a little bit of Judaism, and a little bit of Gnosticism, and a little bit of thisism, and a little bit of thatism, and all these genealogies, and they're doing all this stuff, and they're mixing it all together, and they're serving it up to everybody else. And it is not the gospel. See, what we did sitting on my couch, that was the gospel. The gospel is that I can go to my Prince of Peace. I can go to my King of Kings. I can ask the, my, our teacher, Holy Spirit, don't mean to freak you out or anything, but I do believe God speaks to us, and he tells us in the Word that Holy Spirit inhabits our life, and he's our teacher and gives us wisdom. So, like, again, who am I going to believe? The culture? See, what happens in culture, even in church culture, is if I can't explain it, or if I haven't experienced it, I try to figure out how to explain it away. Mm -hmm. No. I just challenge us to go, no. Don't just accept that anymore. If we want to know, heard me say this before, it will not be new. If we want to know what the heart of the Father is like, if we want to know what perfect theology is, we look at Jesus. We look at how he operated, what he said, what he did. He healed. He restored. He opened blind eyes. He had deaf people hear. He, we look at Jesus and we know that is God's heart. That's the Father's heart. Because he came and completely represented 100% the heart of the Father. That was not just for a slim time, because he said, go into all the world. You're gonna, I want you to teach them to obey everything I've taught you. What do we teach people to obey? We teach people to obey the word. We teach people to obey, obey the truth. We teach people to obey when we sit on the couch and we ask the Lord to speak. And he does speak, and he tells us what the problem is. And now we have to be courageous to go and face the problem. Or we don't. And then we go back to the culture. And the culture says, bury it, numb it, dismiss it, write it off, talk yourself out of it. But the culture never says, let Jesus heal it. Because truth sets us free. Truth brings healing. And I know, and this is what I said to my friend, 
She's like, no, I've been praying about this for months. And I just never heard anything. And I go, I totally get that. Because you know what? You're this close. And I go, that's why we need each other. Because there's things in my life that I'm this close. And I can't see my own stuff sometimes. I need somebody else to lovingly come alongside and encourage. I never said to her, oh my gosh, well, of course that's what it is. And I knew that's what it was. And, you know, it was so obvious that that's why you're operating like that. No, I'm so sure that's not me. It was just like, the Lord just revealed and he revealed and he revealed. And I spoke into the revelation and... And I do that differently, and then you're going to do that because I'm a different person than you are. But we don't want to get swallowed up by our culture. Because here's the thing. The culture should not set the temperature for us. We are to set the temperature for the culture. You've heard probably this expression. Are you a thermostat or are you a thermometer? So when I come into my house and it's cold, and it is, because it's two stories and there's lots of tile, and it, it can be cold a lot. And so it's like I go, I can do one or two things. I can go, oh, cold. I'm just put up a bunch of coats and a hat and some mittens. It's just cold in here, and I'm just going to try to adjust to my atmosphere. Or I can do this really magical thing. It's so amazing. It works every time. Go around the corner on the hall, in the hall, on the wall, there's this little brown thing called a thermostat, and I just cranked that puppy up until it goes warm. That's what we're supposed to do. We bring the power of Jesus Christ. We bring the dynamite power of Holy Spirit into our environment. And so instead of coming to the environment and going, oh, this is a hostile environment, or this is a difficult environment, or this is not a fun environment, or this is a sad environment, or this is a whatever, fill-in-the-blank environment, I come in and I go, okay, I'm sensing that. Maybe some of us are feelers, so we feel it right away, and we're like, ooh. Right? Some of us feelers, God bless you if you're a feeler. God bless you. You need like a special grace to survive life. (laughs) It's a good thing that you're a feeler, but it's a hard thing that you're a feeler. But instead of just absorbing it, we go, no, the power of the risen Christ lives in me. And I don't have to take on the culture. I come in and change the culture. And here's how I do it. I do it with love, okay? (laughs) Don't do it with hate words. I don't do it with nasty things on Facebook. Please don't do that. If you want to have a conversation with somebody about something that you don't agree with, do it with a person. But Facebook is not your media to change the world. <laughs> I, I just don't see a lot of people coming to Jesus by us posting nasty, nasty things about being Christians. (laughs) In fact, the gospel is not to tell us what not to do, it's to tell us what to do. That's the gospel. The gospel is not don't do this, the gospel is do this. The gospel is not this is how you're not supposed to live your life, the gospel is this is how you are to live your life. See, yes, the word tells us things and behaviors and and warns us about things. It's good. It's a mirror. But most of the time, if we stay in the lane of being loving, I'm not saying we don't speak truth. Because remember, we talk about that a lot in 1 John, like what love really means. Love doesn't mean just I'm nice. That's a whole other thing going on on Facebook. Oh, just be nice. Just be nice. Oh, whatever. It's not about just being nice. It's about being loving. Loving is so much bigger than nice. Mm-hmm. So much bigger. I hope some of you guys choose to come back next week. <laughs> Louise is much sweeter than me. Um, <clears throat> so I guess what I want us to walk away with tonight is, um, I better read till verse 7 because that was my goal. Um, he, he said, I want you to stay here goes, um, 
People are teaching these false doctrines, um, don't or devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, such as things that promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's word. See, that's what I mean about the whole Facebook thing. It's like, stop doing that. Like, do something to advance the kingdom in love. You can make a lot bigger impact that way. You know, if you want to carry a sign, that's okay. I'm not against protesting, but I think you make a lot bigger impact by going up and putting your arm around somebody and just loving them than telling them why they're a dirty, rotten, awful person for what they did. That doesn't ever, I don't think, bring anybody into the kingdom, to my knowledge. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk, and they want to and they want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what um, or what they so confidently affirm. So all Paul is trying to get across to Timothy in these first seven verses is he's basically just saying, I want you to hang in there, Timothy. Hang in your culture. See, we are we're not to be we're, we're to be in the world, not of the world. We're supposed to hang in our culture. Supposed to rub shoulders in their culture. But we're supposed to be make a difference in our culture. That's what the power's for. That I bring the stuff of the kingdom into the culture. That I bring supernatural love into the culture. That I bring peace into the culture. That I bring hope into the culture. That I bring, I, I'm a carrier. Like how many people have you seen lately with a mask on their faces? Because they don't want to get the flu, or they've gotten the flu, or they've got something that if they get the flu, it'll be super deadly. I mean, it's airborne now, so people are carriers. They're carrying it everywhere. What if we were carriers of hope? What if we were carriers of joy? What if we were carriers of peace? I don't mean fake it till you make it. I'm not talking about that. But it actually was what was inside us, because it is what's inside us, and we actually learned how to let that out in our life. We will be forces to be reckoned with. The enemy will not like it. But the kingdom will rejoice. And there will be transformation. Not only in our lives, but in the lives of people around us. This is my friend. I said, how do you feel now? She said, I feel like there's a giant weight cup. See, that's how truth sets us free. That's how the Prince of Peace takes away the old, pulls up the roots, gets rid of that, brings the truth, lets us live abundant life. It's what Jesus said. I'm not making it up. And I'm going to choose to believe him even when I'm not experienced. See, this isn't about... I only believe you when I've experienced it. This is, I'm going to choose to believe you whether I'm experiencing it or not. Because I'll tell you, the likelihood of you experiencing it is much higher when you walk in faith towards that than when you stay boxed in by the lies and the declarations and the culture that tells you the exact opposite of what our living God tells us. So I hope you're excited to study First Timothy. I am. And um, next week, I'm excited. I know, Louise, it's going to bring a great message. And um, what I'd like you to leave with, uh, if we don't have your email information, we need to get that because we send questions for meditation out via email. And we're not going to know if you do it or not. It's really up to you. It's only a tool for you to just have some time because... Here's the thing. Between now and the door, the enemy will try to snatch everything that you heard. That's why writing things down is really important, going back over what you've heard. Because the way transformation happens is that we process what we heard. It's the transforming of our mind, the renewing of our mind. And if you're anything like me, I need to just read things over and over and over again. Or it just goes like a sieve. So I would encourage that of you this week, um, that we would ask this question. You would ask the Lord, where am I enmeshed in my culture and have traded that for your truth? Where am I enmeshed in my culture and have traded that for your truth? And you know what? God's so loving. 
He'll, he's not going to beat you up if you ask him. He wants to tell you so that you can just get free from it and move on to better things. Because he has better things awaiting for you. Okay, so um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to break into groups of four. And um, you just have to make your groups quickly. And uh, if you need to leave, leave. But um, we have until 8.30 to talk and visit and, and pray for each other. And I would just like you to share in your group of four um, just something that stood out to you during this time. Something that you would your takeaway, okay? Just a takeaway. Lord, thank you for this night and for these precious women and for what you are doing, what you have done, and what you'll continue to do in our lives. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us throughout the week, that we would take time to listen, that we would receive from you, and then we would act upon what you say. And Lord, again, I just ask for you to pour out your love on us, just an outpouring of your love and an outpouring of your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.